G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. Our special guest, Dr. Alan Meyer. Now, Alan Meyer is the founder of CareForce Life Keys. These days travels to more than 20 countries around the world, preaching, teaching, training in healing, discipleship and evangelism. And his newest project is called Small Group Leader and Facilitator Training. It's a course for people to lead small groups. And Alan Meyer joining us today, and we'll open those talkback lines. Alan, welcome along to 2020. Great to talk to you again. Hello. Alan, gotcha. Yeah, you got me. <laughs> Thanks well, so much for being for available. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you, mate. I hope I uh, got the introduction there uh, They're pretty close to right. I mean, these days you're travelling uh, around the world, around about 20 countries you're travelling to, uh, reaching out to people, evangelising, training in something like, like more than 2,000 churches. Is that the case? Well, there'll be a lot more than that now. Um, fortunately, we have uh, some very good people who have picked up the Careforce Life Keys material in the old uh, Soviet Union countries. And, in fact, I was just... Uh, I just met with one of them on Thursday night. He showed me a map of the Ukraine. And in the map of, on the map of the Ukraine, a red dot for every area in which they are not only training, uh, not only doing life keys, but training people to run small groups that are involved in restoration. And it's quite stunning all over that country. Uh, and right through the old Soviet Union, we got five of our programs in Russian. And it's uh, that there would be thousands of churches just through the old Soviet Union that are being touched every single day by the Careforce Life Keys material. Well, Alan, in some churches, small groups work fabulously well. In others, they are spectacular failures. As I was just making the introduction there, some people even say that small groups in local church contexts don't work. Uh, sometimes, as I mentioned, a source of frustration and division in the local church. E- even in some cases, fights break out. Uh, you would have heard a few fairly hairy stories about small groups, I guess, in your time. Well, I've been involved in small groups from the, the very earliest introduction deliberately in Australia during the 1970s. Um, I came on staff at a, at a church where my senior pastor was really um, concerned or really devoted to wanting to, to run the church through small groups, um, particularly because of the influence of one Carlos Ortiz and uh, his reflections on the revival that had taken place during uh, in Argentina and the, the role that small groups played in discipling people in that country. Now, uh, over the years that we were in, involved in that, my senior pastor was a um, was Hal Oxley, and Hal was a military man, and he was a, a trained officer, and he was a trainer of people. So he took the issue of training quite seriously. But one of the things we observed that was when a home group went bad, if you if a if a leader got disaffected or or got uh, a little poisonous, you would lose every person in that group. And often it would be over things you could not even put your finger on. So you could see the potential for good, but you could also see the potential for, for, for harm right from the, from the very beginning. 
Well, I want to invite our listeners to participate in our conversation today. So our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. That's 1-800-316-316. You might have your own story to tell when it comes to small groups or life groups. Uh, they're all called all sorts of things, Alan. I guess uh, connect groups connect is a popular group. one. Sure. Uh, you know, even Accountability uh, groups, there's uh, just so many different names for them. That's right, and uh, these groups within the life of a local church. So inviting listeners to be a part of our conversation today, call us and let us know your thoughts on the value of small groups in the local church, one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Now, Alan, you've produced this new resource, the Small Group Leader and Facilitator Training Course, because you believe that there's never been a better time to do small groups than right now. And there's never been a more important time. One of the reasons why it's such a great time to be doing small groups is that different organisations around the world have been creating really good tools for small group ministry. I mean, there's hardly a person who's not heard of Alpha. And Alpha um, has changed the lives of more than 22 million people around the world who are now followers of Jesus because they put a tool in the hands of small group leaders and allowed them to do the, the kind of ministry which without that tool they just couldn't do it alone. And so we've seen in, in, with Alpha, Focus on the Family, Cleansing Streams, Life Keys, a whole range of, um, of people who've produced stuff, tools that can be just brilliantly used in a home, in a small group setting, in a school, in, in anywhere where there's a, a gathering of, small, of, uh, of people with a good small group leader. So the, 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 the tools that are available are so diverse that the, the possibilities of doing great ministry have never been better. Okay, now the key to most small groups obviously comes down to the way they're conducted. Uh, tell us about how you make those resources that are available, as you say, in such a diverse uh, range of them and fabulous resources that are coming out. How do you make the most of those in your local church setting? Yeah, and that's, and that's the whole thing. See, um, the reality is that we make the assumption that we can simply take a tool and put it in someone's hands and they'll, they'll handle it well. Uh, I would not want to go to, uh, to have my teeth done just because the guy next door had been given a drill. Uh, the reality is that when it comes to, to human hearts and human lives, they're delicate things. And you can use a tool inappropriately, you can behave inappropriately, you can allow inappropriate things to be said and done in a small group setting not because you're bad people, but because simply no one has ever given you any training. Uh, you haven't known what was appropriate. You haven't known how to divert inappropriate um, advice giving or, or, re or reactions. And um, as a result, the key to this whole thing has got to come down to training. And the beautiful thing is Jesus took 12 really ordinary people. I mean, some of them might have been quite brilliant, uh, but by and large, they were just ordinary lettuce and tomato Jewish people. They were fishermen, they were uh, tax collectors, some of them were political adjutants, and then he just took ordinary people. But he gave them the skills of being able to do good ministry, and then he could delegate the whole future of the Christian church into the hands of uh, ordinary people. And that becomes the key. Um, all too often, we delegate to people who have had minimal training and sometimes no training. And as a result, you can anticipate that when problems arise, unless these are people with high levels of emotional intelligence, 
they can just do or say something inappropriate and before you know it you've damaged people and we never intended to but we've damaged people we've wounded them we've made them feel uh, inadequate in a, we've made them feel unworthy sometimes we've just plain old made them feel unwelcome and occasionally we've just told them things that no one should have ever told them and uh, as a result of that one of the reasons people don't want to go to small groups is because they've already been to one and they found that it wasn't as healing and as helpful and as, and, as, and as encouraging as they were told it would be. And it's all simply because of inadequate training uh, before delegation took place. Well, we're taking calls this hour. You might like to contribute to our conversation. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. We're talking about small groups. In the context of a local church, what are your thoughts on the value of small groups in the local church setting? Let's take a call from Rebecca, who's calling from Alice Springs. Hello, Rebecca. Welcome along to our conversation. What are your thoughts? Oh, hi, Neil. Sorry. Um, I was just thinking, talking, I wanted to talk about the small groups. I think they're a really great thing that I've experienced in most churches I've been to. I have been in a church where, um, as the, the speaker was talking about, where someone who did get disgruntled did poison the group and try and pull them away. Um, but what I've found is, is in most of the bigger churches, the large churches I've been to, they've just been really essential to the um, discipleship growth Um, because you don't get that in a service um, especially when there's a very large group of people and and also that feeling of being connected in a really large group of people. Rebecca let's hear from uh, Dr Alan Meyer. Alan uh, some interesting points Rebecca's raising there. Uh, Let's pick up on the first one if if we can. Uh, The idea of you know sometimes there's groups where there are people there that can poison the group. uh, It becomes a dreadful uh, experience for people when that happens. And and that's true and I I think everything Rebecca says is vital and true. I mean the reality is that the need for small groups is huge. We, We need them. Um, accountability. How can, for example, a full-time ministry team of, uh, even if it's a large team, ever truly help people to be accountable for their following of Jesus? Um, pastoral care. There's just no way that you can put enough people on staff to just care pastorally for all the people in a church. Discipleship. This sharing your journey and encouraging people to follow Jesus. Um, Sunday services are great. They can be inspiring. But you walk out the door and there's got to be more than just a big public gathering. Rebecca's exactly right. It's, it's one of the keys to, uh, to great church life. And uh, as long as it's managed well, that's exactly what it will be. I've, uh, I've just seen both sides of the coin and know that if you train people, you can have all of that. If you don't train people well, it can turn out to be quite unhelpful. Rebecca, we've got you still. Let me ask you, you've seen the good and the bad. Uh, you've been through those experiences where there was, uh, you know, a very a disappointing ending, I guess, to that small group where, where really there was a poisoning effect. But you've come through and you've said, well, uh, even though I've seen the good and the bad, I'm still part of a small group. Is that the case? Oh, definitely. I mean, I'm a pastor's kid. I've grown up in the church. I've seen the good and the bad in all, in all aspects of church. But I guess what I've learned right from the beginning is that God's the only person we can rely on, yeah. um, that church is, essential, is essential to our encouragement and, and, you know, to be able to keep going in our faith. So I've never let it pull me away from that fellowship that we get. I do think, though, that um, the small groups, um, when you find the right one, 
Um, and, you know, in, in most churches there are several, and it's finding the one that you connect in with well and the one that you can grow in the most. Um, but I love the churches too where they spend a lot of time in looking after the leaders of their cell groups and their connect groups so that they don't, um, you know, face that whole thing of feeling alone or being sort of dis um, disconnected in, in their own um, looking after their own little group. Um, and, you know, it, it really does come to the structure of the church and making sure that, um, you know, the pastor might be looking after the cell group leaders or the pastor's looking after the his pastoral staff and then they look after the cell group leaders. So there's depending on how large the church is, but that's essential. You can't just sort of let them go off and, and look after their own groups and hope that everything's going okay. <laughs> that's right. Um, Rebecca, yeah. let's just hear from Alan on that because uh, the cell group leaders, they need to have some level of uh, oversight and accountability themselves. And I guess that's it's right. that, uh, that passionate leadership that actually helps to produce good leaders. Oh, I think you should let Rebecca do the program. She's, just, she's doing just great. Yes. Uh, we, because Rebecca obviously knows church life, and we'd be talking about exactly the same thing. Um, one of the skills, for example, of providing support for anybody who's running a small group is really profound. And um, in the places where small group leaders get that support, they will always function more effectively, and they never feel like they're in too deep. Um, if you run a small group, for any length of time, people start telling you stories or they start saying things that take you beyond your current skill level. Now, if you've got nowhere to get support and there's nowhere, for example, for debriefing, uh, debriefing is one of the skills that we teach in, uh, in our course that not only do people run small groups, but they gather again to share with one another how their group is going, where maybe they're struggling, and they uh, coach each other and encourage each other with uh, good ideas and skills to ensure that things just don't get beyond their ability to manage. Now, if, that, if that's happening, and in every great church, that is exactly what's happening. You'll have people devoted to coaching, encouraging, supporting, debriefing, finding tools for people because the variety of, of needs in small groups is profound. And if you are running a small group and you have no tools, there comes a moment where you just don't know what to say anymore. You don't know how to feed effective things into the, the, the life of the group. Now, good churches will not only create tools, but they'll find them for people and make sure they've got the right kind of tools in their hands. Now, and you do that, then, of course, you can have fantastic, you can have great small group ministry and everybody benefits from that. Well, Rebecca from Alice Springs, thank you so much for your contribution today here on 2020. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson, a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. We are talking small groups this hour and you're invited to be a part of our conversation. You can call us our talkback line open 1-800-316-316. That's 1-800-316-316. Dr. Alan Meyer, our guest, the founder of Careforce Life Keys. We're talking about a new resource uh, which is called the Small Group Leader and Facilitator Training Course. And the idea, Alan Meyer, is that uh, you want to equip people who are in churches 
uh, to have an ability to have the right skills to lead a small group. Let's talk about the diversity of those small groups that are operating in local churches or that might operate, because sometimes we can limit ourselves, can't we, to the to the way we think that the small group is supposed to operate. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, tell, but let's talk about the range. What's the range of small groups that you are interested in? Okay, one of the things that we do in our training is we give people an overview to understand the fact that small groups have uh, different levels of challenge and as a result they have to have different protocols, um, if you like, different rules of engagement. If you went down to the, like the deep end of the pool, uh, you might be dealing with something like chemical dependency. Now the average church may not deal with chemical dependency, but in our own church in Mount Evelyn, when we did deal with chemical dependency, we connected with some of the professionals in our community that would never have come to a church service. So we ran a small group, um, not on the church site, but in a local educational centre, just our chemical dependency group. And, of course, when you're dealing with something of that nature, you've got a very narrow focus. And your focus is on dealing with one particular area of a, of a person's challenge in their life. And the focus is totally on restoration. And, of course, in that environment, you would almost certainly have to run that group as what we would call a closed group. So that um, you gather people, you uh, prepare them for the, the journey, you introduce them to them to each other and to the leaders and because the uh, the nature of what's going to be discussed in that group is very personal and and confidential you've got to have very clear protocols around confidentiality the way the group runs has to really protect the safety of people you've got to provide an environment where transparency can be at a very high level and that demands a closed group if you have people coming and going they just come for a week and they disappear it destroys the ability of people to go deep enough to be able to do that kind of journey. Now, if you're going to run a group like that, it might be, for example, divorce recovery, or it might be something like sexual abuse. You must have very clear, focused uh, protocols, and people need the tools and the training to manage those well so that it never becomes dictatorial, but it is always very firm and solid and, uh, and secure. Now, as you begin to drift towards the shallow end of the pool, and the shallow end of the pool might just be a Bible study group, a group of people who get together every week and talk about um, a Bible, uh, a story in the Bible or a, 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 some kind of a doctrine or whatever. Um, a group like that is unlikely to need to be a closed group. Now you're talking about an open group, and it could be a group where you bring a friend and they may never come back, or you can just introduce people each week. Now, that requires a very different level of skills. But it does require that people understand the challenges, for example, of um, the stages of a group. What, do you, what kind of things do you need to do in a group during the forming stage? Now, if you don't do things well in the forming stage, you, you will never get to the performing stage where people are truly trusting each other and telling the truth. So that while you may not have the high-level um, protocols involved in running a, a group like sexual abuse, uh, you need to understand them and you need to understand why they are there and you need to understand what the substitute lower level skills are so that the group, no matter what it is, can run effectively.
It seems to me, Alan, there's a lot of people in church life who actually would be very appropriately qualified to handle some of these deep end groups. I love your illustration, the shallow end and the deep end. There are appropriately qualified people to handle the deep end groups who maybe are not really even functioning in any level of responsibility in church life. I'm sure that listeners can probably think of people in their church who could really handle some of that deep stuff, but perhaps they're not even involved. Let me give you an example of, of exactly what you just said. Um, I, I did not realize what a gem I had uh, in my church. He was simply running um, a, uh, an LPG gas conversion um, company, putting LPG gas in vehicles. But when I began to run a um, support group for sexual addiction, he came out of the closet and said, I'd like to help. And his story was this. He um, emigrated from Holland as a 15-year-old, And when he left Holland, he had a suitcase. Half of it was full of clothes and half of it was full of pornography. And his plan was when he arrived here in Australia, he would sell the pornography and it would give him some money to get started. And over the years, he came to know Jesus. Um, He came into it the life of our church and he really dealt with the issue of his addiction to pornography. And if there was anybody who understood the struggle, it was him. He became one of my most trusted and effective small group leaders in this particular area and there will be many men who will owe their future to the fact that a guy who put LPG tanks in cars found a way to function as an effective small group leader in the life of our church and there'd be many men he managed to, he he was able to to help to lead them out of that kind of a background. It's Neil with you. Our topic of conversation this hour, we're talking about small groups in the context of the local church. Dr. Alan Meyer, our guest, the founder of Careforce Life Keys, we're talking about small groups. And just picking up, Alan, on your illustration of the shallow end and the deep end when it comes to the sorts of groups that might function in church life. What do you say to people who are at the shallow end and perhaps, you know, doing that thing, leading a Bible study, and we might think that you might need, not need to be especially qualified to be able to lead a Bible study, but, uh, but what do you say to people who think that they don't need any training at all to be able to be the small group leader? Yeah, well, um, I think the Bible has a story that was always intended to um, alert us to the fact that when it comes to dealing with people, there will come moments where things are not going well for them. And in those moments, we have a very sad potential to do or say the wrong thing, which can then deeply damage their life. The oldest book in the Bible, it is thought to be the oldest book in the Bible, is the book of Job. And the book of Job is a, an interesting book because of its the, the, the nature of its story. And... Most people maybe think that the purpose of the book of Job is to point out to us that the devil is the problem and he's the source of all the, of all the destruction that goes on around us and that God is the answer. Uh, if that is the primary uh, message of the book of Job, then it should only be three chapters long because in two chapters you find out that the devil's the problem and in the final, answer you dis- the final chapter you dis- discover that God is the answer. But there aren't three chapters in Job, there are 42 of them. And for the other 39 chapters, we bump into the problem of small groups. Job goes through a terrible experience of loss. 
he not only loses his property and his income, his wealth and his standing in the community, he buries 10 children in a single day. And then his health fails. And the Bible says that three, group, three, three of his friends uh, came to visit him with a, the best of intentions. Their intentions were to just be a comfort to him. And for seven days they did quite well. But um, if you know anything about the, the, the cycle of grief, by the time you get to chapter 3 and Job has been sitting in a small group with his wife and himself and three friends, and his emotions, be he begins to catch up with the depth of his loss. Out comes this outpouring of, of grief. And in that context, his friends are unprepared for that moment. Now, if you run a small group of any kind for any length of time, sooner or later, people will start telling stories about their life. And some of those stories will, will, will relate to hurt and pain and loss and damage in their life. And that book was written to help us appreciate that unprepared, you are almost certain to be saying unhelpful things. Um, if you look at uh, the list of things that Eliphaz in chapter uh, uh, 4 and 5 of the book of Job, his initial response to someone being honest in a small group, it's just awful. Uh, he tries to shame him into silence. You know, I'm surprised at you. I thought you had more faith than that. But the next one he comes out with is the sowing and reaping thing. You know, Job, um, have you ever heard about sowing and reaping? You know, you've buried 10 of your kids and your, your life is in a mess. Have you ever heard about sowing and reaping? Mm -hmm. Now, here's the, here's the challenge or the danger. If you went down to the local pub and you, you were, your heart was broken because your wife was dying of cancer, the, the publican is very unlikely to say to you, have you ever thought about sowing and reaping? Um, he'd say, mate, that's, that's terrible. You know, that's tragic. You know, have another drink. And he, he, would not, he wouldn't be inappropriate. He may not know what to say, but he, he wouldn't say that. The, the tragedy is that when you read the book of Job, you have to own a Bible to say things as unhelpful as they said. You have to have a theistic view of life. And you start thinking um, that, well... Job, you must have done something wrong because we live in a moral universe. Have you ever heard of sowing and reaping? Well, yes, yeah, sowing and reaping is in the Bible, but it had nothing to do with Job's issue. And that's what happens in a small group when people are untrained. <laughs> yes. um, somebody puts something on the table, and the next thing you hear is that someone in the group comes out with an inappropriate statement, and if you are not prepared for it, you are about to damage a human life. Now, we don't bring people into small groups to damage them. We bring them into small groups to help them. But the book of Job was to underline the fact that people who have a theological view of life are set up to be judgmental. They are set up to be talking about theology in a way that is not appropriately connected to the problems that they're facing. And if they do that, they damage people. I think some people will relate very strongly to what you've just said there. And, uh, you know, you have to own a Bible to say such inappropriate things. Uh, that's a bit of a shock to the system. It uh, is. Will, I have a friend of mine who, um, ran a, who had a service once on grief. Yeah. He invited six different couples onto the platform and asked each one of them to tell the story of their grief. And every one of them had a, a really tear-jerking story of things that were said to them by people out of the Bible in their attempt to be helpful, but it was not only unhelpful, it was damaging. 
And as a result, you put people in a small group, you better be prepared to help leaders to know how to handle those moments because they, they will arise. It doesn't matter how shallow your group is. You keep people together for any length of time, they'll start to tell their stories. And in those moments, you better handle those moments appropriately. We are talking about small groups and, in fact, a new resource, which is called the Small Group Leader and Facilitator Training Course. We'll talk some more about how you can get a hold of the course in just a short while. We're taking calls 1-800-316-316. Reg is in Craigmore in South Australia. Hello, Reg. Welcome along to 2020. Reg, what's your contribution to our conversation today? Uh, like I've saying before, um, it's it's an exciting time for people to come together in a church situation. It's where they can learn to interact with each other in a supposedly supportive, informal, friendly-type atmosphere where they can be free to um, express themselves. Okay. And, and this uh, is where they learn, really learn to get along with each other and learn to love your neighbour, so to speak. Um, and in fact, the group that I look after, we have the whole pool. We have the deep end and the uh, very shallow end. And sometimes, yeah, it does uh, cause a, a bit of a challenge. But uh, mostly, it's good when we can encourage other people in the group that are from the deep end uh, to the um, to the, the the more shallow end. Uh, and yeah, do without the judgmental like side of things. Let's hear from Alan, Alan Meyer, uh, on the things that Reg is sharing. Absolutely. Good on you, Reg. Um, I thoroughly agree with Reg. I think it's a wonderful place for people to learn how to relate well. And as long as when, they, when the, the deep things get said, the leader is there to ensure that the group's kept safe. Because um, it, 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 it doesn't take rocket science. And often it's, it's just a lot of uh, good emotional intelligence and loving kindness that keeps a group safe. But the, there's always the over-talker, there's the religious person, there's the one who's got a Bible verse uh, that, that's the answer to every person's problem. And sometimes they just don't understand another person's struggle. And in an attempt to be encouraging, they just may say the kind of thing that is not, is not, only not encouraging, it's discouraging. And a good leader can step in and help everybody at that that's point. Right. And, and I, think it's a, I think Reg is right. I think you, know, you, you, get the, you get some good, sensible leadership in those environments and people learn profoundly about loving one another. It's great. Reg from Craigmore in South Australia, thanks so much for your contribution today here on 2020. Let me pick up on something before we move forward here, uh, Alan. When Reg was saying uh, the idea of you know bringing people from the deep end to the shallow end, sometimes that's a little bit against our thinking when we think of you know we ought to be getting deeper and deeper in our Christian walk. But but this sense of people who are in a, a deep end situation and going through the the grief or the challenges that they are going through, we do want them to be in the shallow end too, don't we? In, in that regular Bible study, uh, deepening faith type of uh, of atmosphere. Yeah, uh, the, whole... the only reason we call it the shallow end is that we don't that we don't bring the group together deliberately to try to kind of uh, address um, earth shaking issues. We just want to deal with life, and often that's about paying your bills and caring about your kids and all of that kind of stuff. But it, uh, but it often um, so often is dealing with things that are profoundly important someone's marriage for example it doesn't get any deeper than that 
and even in a in a just an ordinary Bible study, your hope is that people who are sitting there that may have serious marriage problems, they're not they're not there to to just talk about their marriage, but you hope they're going to hear things from married people that'll give them hope for themselves and ideas and insight as to how to manage conflict and so on. So there's no question that in even in a, just a, a just say an ordinary Bible study group where people are honestly sharing their lives and explaining how the Bible gave them answers for challenges they were facing. Oh, the, there's a tremendous, um, you could use the word therapy if you want. There's tremendous therapy, you know, there's tremendous healing and, and life change that can go on just as we listen to one another sharing the stories of um, how God has touched us through one piece of truth or another. And isn't there a sense, Alan, if you're in a regular type of a small group setting, that there are going to be times, even though you might feel as though you are in a shallow end style group, that there are going to be nights or gatherings when, in fact, you're in the deep waters and some of those painful things come out, even though you hadn't intended that to be such a deep group? And that is one of the most important issues that we, we address in the training of small group leaders. Um, the, the small group leader, for example, that might be leading a service team. You might have a group of musicians, for example, and they meet together uh, in their small group because they lead the worship and so they maybe spend part of their time in prayer, part of their time in talking about their, their life and part of their time in practicing for the coming worship service. You have to be aware of the moment where leadership could lead that group into an experience of ministry to care for someone because of sometimes even a casual comment that's made as the group is unfolding the the leader can pick up on that and he can just not allow the group to just go rolling on into less less important things or trivial things and stop and say um peter could you tell us a little more about that would you feel comfortable? To, would, would you like to share that a little more? And he coaxes him out, and next thing you know, you realise you're dealing with something here that's life-changing. And then you might be saying, Pete, it sounds to me like, could we pray with you? Would I would like to gather around with you now. Would would you? Would that be okay? Would? And next thing you know, he's meeting with that person after the group and saying, can I can I encourage you to go see this pastor on our ministry team? Because, Peter, what you shared tonight, I know they can help you. And so you've got small group leaders that may feel they're just at the service end, you know, getting a group together to serve, and suddenly they find themselves in a pastoral situation. And you want them to know how to make the most of that moment because Peter's life matters. He's not just there playing the bass guitar. He's there as a follower of Jesus. And in that service team, if the leader was knew how to handle the moment well, he can suddenly find himself having a, a touch of God uh, because the group leader didn't let that moment pass. Alan, I suspect there may be uh, those listening into our conversation today uh, who had thought that small groups were a, a fun and oftentimes social activity. And uh, and some of the things we're talking about today for some people could be a little scary, uh, a frightening idea of actually being in a group when people are actually uh, sharing their heart in levels of depth that we're talking about today. But we're talking also here about discipleship. Are you an advocate that small groups really are are an essential part of the discipleship of believers in a local church? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the, to me, the, the, the thought that we could call ourselves a church but not engage in the uh, intimacy and the care for one another's lives is kind of unthinkable. 
And the, the big challenge with the Sunday service is that it, it's not in, essentially about me, it's about us and, and our bringing of ourselves before God, and it's about the preacher blowing a trumpet and opening up a big picture of the Word of God. But then it, there's got to be the, the implication to my life. And um, small groups, the groups, uh, churches have to get smaller as they get bigger. They just have to be able to do good small group ministry. It's so much a part of uh, God's intention for our, for our health and for the ministry of a local church. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. It's good to have you with us. The Tuesday edition of 2020, our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. We're talking about small groups in the local church context, and you might like to contribute your thoughts on the value of small groups. Our special guest is Dr. Alan Meyer, the founder of Careforce Life Keys. Alan, as we continue this uh, conversation about small groups uh, and the confidence that grows when someone who is appointed the leader has some level of training, uh, the way they can be released in a way that they've probably never dreamed before uh, could be quite exciting. Let's talk about some of the issues and things that you deal with in the training, which is part of your small groups leader and facilitator training course. Yeah, that'd be it. That's great. Um, Well, it's not rocket science, and sometimes all it requires is for people to see it. And they say, I could do that. I could do that. In our first session, we deal with leading people into the blessing of God. And uh, we've, we've opted to try to help people become very clear followers of Jesus. Now, I was very encouraged by this because I was watching this morning uh, over the Internet um, Brian Houston speaking at his leadership development uh, class last week his, uh, for, the, for all of the Hillsong campuses throughout uh, Australia. And he was saying exactly what we are into, and that is, Um, In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told people where the blessing of God can be found. And the first thing we want to teach uh, the small group leaders is that there are eight things that Jesus said are, are all about the blessing of God. For example, the first one is humility. Help people to humble themselves. Now, a small group can be run in a way where people just put on plastic faces and they all try to appear as good as they can possibly be, and no one ever shares anything that would be uh, in any way embarrassing or in any way um, insightful about their current life. And if ever they've had a problem, it was always years ago. You know, I used to have that problem years ago. But Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And humility becomes one of the key issues. One of the reasons I think Valiant Man has touched the nation the way it has is because as the teacher of it, I'm prepared to humble myself and tell men my personal struggles, my challenges. Now, if I can be humble, then other people can be too. And so in our first area, we talk about these eight issues, humility, the issue of emotional honesty, being real about your emotions, not being pretense, not, not being a pretender. The third one being teachable, letting the word of God get in. The fourth one, accepting personal responsibility. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Helping people in a group to accept personal responsibility for their pursuit of Jesus. Then the issue of forgiveness. Um, Blessed are uh, the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Um, Teaching that in a small group, we can not only hear about forgiveness, but we could actually 
uh, reach out and extend forgiveness in ways that maybe we've found difficult to do in the past. Dealing with motives, blessed are the pure in heart. Dealing with broken relationships, blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called the children of God. And then being courageous when it hurts and when it's challenging, blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness sake. And not trying to just teach people mechanics about small groups, but how to lead people into relationships in a small group and conversations in a small group where Jesus said the blessing of God could be found. It's a, it's a more important issue than just being clever at managing people. You want to lead them somewhere, and that's the first place that we go in our, in our uh, training process. What I can hear you saying is, when you reflect there on uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, yeah. is, uh, is this real authenticity uh, in the, that's necessary in the leader that actually brings out the best in the group? Uh, and the group won't actually ever really grow beyond, I guess, where the authenticity of the leader is, because if they don't trust the leader, they won't share those things. But if there's an authenticity in the leader, then then, then all sorts of wonderful things will come out in the group. Yeah, it's an issue of modelling. And if a, te- if a, if a leader models um, appearance management, then it becomes very difficult in a group for a person to actually tell the truth. It becomes almost an embarrassment. But if a leader models humility, then it's easy for people to follow that lead. And uh, so the whole issue is about teaching leaders how to model the kind of conversation and, on, and heart relationships that allows the blessing of God to be poured out. And that's a, much, that's a bigger issue than being clever about uh, uh, small group management. It's, uh, it's the blessing of God that we're after. You mentioned a little earlier uh, that sometimes you're in the deep group and it's a little bit like a therapy session. I mean, there'll be those listening to our conversation now thinking that uh, that small groups are all about a therapeutic experience for people who are really going through all sorts of deep struggles. And and uh, really what they're, not lo- what they're looking for is not something so deep, but actually the lighter side where they don't have to be so authentic, so sharing, so open about themselves. Yeah, is, and, is, and is, there's, there's a validity to that too. I mean, we just, we just need plain old friendship. And, and the great thing about uh, all small groups, even deep small groups, lots of it is about fun. And lots of it is just about caring. And it's, it's not all about, you know, so deep that and people, their faces are on the floor. That's not what it's about. But it is about honesty. And there's a, there's a great need for friendship. And there's a great need for encouragement in a world where there's often, uh, people often carry significant weight. And part of the, the, the issue of leading a good small group is appreciating what are we here for? Uh, what really is the goal of this group? Now, you can't, always, you can't just be rigid because you can be in a group and say, we're here just for people to have fun. And in the midst of that fun, a ministry moment emerges. And if you just say, oh, no, no, no we're a shallow small group. You know, we're here. We're not here to know people and care about people. We're just here to have fun. Well, then that's not the kingdom of heaven because in that moment, you've just got to be appropriate. And a lot of good small group leader training is about helping leaders to understand what appropriate would be in the kind of group that they're running. Running short of time, uh, any particular illustrations you can think of about uh, the way that a leader responds appropriately to particular issues that people might raise uh, in the group and it might just be something that pops out at the least likely moment? How do you actually handle those sorts of things? Well, let me just tell you, one of the, one of the loveliest stories... The, the woman who became the business manager for our for our ministry came into the life of our church as an unbeliever. 
Uh, she came in after a very, very damaging divorce, and she was involved in one of our groups called The Search for Life. She said, I, because you guys do that thing about Matthew 5 and about the uh, Beatitudes of Jesus, she said, on that very first night, I realized I was amongst a group of people that I could be safe with. And so she said, I shared the story of my divorce, and I'd never shared that with other people. I'd kind of felt that no one did, really needs to know this, but I just felt to share it. And on the seventh night, I was able to say uh, in my group, I am so sick of the hurt and I'm so sick of the hate. And the next day, my small group leader phoned me and led me down a pathway uh, of forgiving my ex-husband for the first time. And she said, it totally changed my life. That's, to me, this is what, this great small group leadership where someone hears the cry in the heart and makes a phone call and the next day uh, follows up on what was said in a small group. And before you know it, someone's found their way to Jesus and a brand new life. And as you say, it's not rocket science, but there is a certain sense in which with training you begin to appreciate those sensitive moments and you know what to do rather than be thrown into the deep end and not knowing what to do at all. Exactly. And once you've seen it, it becomes, people say, I could do that. I could, oh, I'd I'd never, oh, is that what you'd say? I could do that. And their confidence rises and they find their whole issue of running a small group, not a scary thing, but a real delight. Running short of time, Alan, uh, the actual course, the small groups leader and uh, facilitator training course, yes. uh, when people get a hold of it, uh, how do they do that? Well, if they were to go online to careforcelifekeys.org, on the very front page, they'll see a list of, of all the different courses. And if they go to the, it says new facilitator training, there are two video clips on there that will help them to understand what this whole thing is about. And once they uh, see, if they were to watch those two video clips, they'll then realise we could get this course in our own church. And because it's on DVD and comes with manuals and instruction, they can run their own training in their own church with their own people. And as a result, take them down the pathway of increasing their skills and being confident that they'll do a better job of small group leadership in the future. That website was www.careforcelifekeys.org. Dr. Alan Meyer is the founder of Careforce Life Keys, spends his time these days travelling to many countries and uh, preaching, teaching, training in healing, discipleship and evangelism. Alan Meyer, always a pleasure talking. Thanks so much for being with us today on 2020. Thanks, Neil. I hope to. We'll do it again. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts. Or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.